travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Welcome to Talk Travel Asia, episode 27, and this one is called Angkor 201. We're giving those of you who listen to Angkor 101 the chance to get a few more credits here. So in Angkor 101, uh, that was only our second episode, and I think we talked a bit about the must-see temples, focused a little bit on how to approach a visit, including reading up on the history, understanding the size of the park, gave you a little bit of information on how to visit Siem Reap and how to get to the temples. So that was episode two, if you want to go back. Today, we're going to get deeper into it. This is Scott Coates in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and joining me is the real expert. Hey, Scott, this is Trevor Ranges, uh, recording in Bangkok, Thailand. Yeah, it's, uh, it's over a year since we did that episode, Angkor 101. And, uh, I know, and I think I've been back to the temples twice since then, and uh, you know, developing countries change so fast, and you wouldn't think that thousand-year-old mm. temples would change a lot too, but you know, we could almost do an episode every few months and, and talk about what's going on with the changes in, in the temples and the road conditions and which temples you can get to and which ones are crowded. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we did in the first episode that we talked about Angkor, we offered some tips on how to avoid the crowds, uh, you know, not doing exactly what all the guidebooks tell you and everyone else to do and uh, considering going during the monsoon season, which I think is great because the crowds are smaller, the moats and the the, the canals are all full of water and the, the surrounding forest is lush and green and beautiful. Um, but, you know, one year later, we figured we should revisit this. Uh, I don't know if we're calling it Angkor 201 or 102, but we're going to give you a bit more specific detail, uh, including getting further afield to some of the secondary sites. Yeah, I agree. I've been back to Siem Reap and the Angkor temples once since the last one in Phnom Penh once. And yeah, I, I think what... I always get out of it is there's so much depth to these so there's always more temples to see there's always more things to experience but you can also draw a lot more from uh, the same place you've been many times and uh, before we get any further we're going to thank our uh, sponsors for this one and it's Heritage Suites man this is a hotel I absolutely love it's in Siem Reap and it is truly like a kind of a luxurious boutique hotel I took you there once right yeah, you know, that's the only time I've actually been there was when you and I went for cocktails that one night. And it's kind of a hidden gem because I yeah. think if people don't seek it out and look for it, you're not even going to know it's there. And, and maybe that's part of the charm if you're staying there is that it's a little bit off the beaten path, a little bit quiet. But it's not like it's far out of town. It's, it's pretty close, yeah? Yeah, I mean, it's in Siem Reap town proper. It's just east of the river. But it would probably be, you know, a kilometer walk from the night markets and whatnot. But they've got a gorgeous main room where they serve you food with a beautiful bar. They do jazz nights there on Thursdays. The room is are really well appointed, and it's run by a really super tight team. So thanks so much to Heritage Suites for sponsoring this episode. So Trevor, um, I think you wanted to chat general tips for the start of this one, yeah? Yeah, because I don't know how many people have been listening since episode two. Uh, you know, people could go back and listen to it now, but I wanted to give some important general tips, whether it's your first time or your fifth time to the temple, mm -hmm. because there are some important things you do need to know. Right. Uh, the first one I want to talk about is gear. 
Um, I'm a big geek for the, the perfect shoes and the perfect bag and the perfect hat and all that stuff for traveling. But you definitely want to bring some sturdy shoes because you're, you're going to do lots of walking. Mm -hmm. You're going to be climbing up stone pyramids, lots of uneven ground. Um, it's also really hot in Southeast Asia, so a good wide-brimmed hat and some sunblock. Yeah. Uh, you're in the forest a lot of times, so mosquito repellent with DEET is really important. And uh, whether or not it's the middle of the monsoon season or not, uh, the rain can come hard and fast, so a good cheap plastic raincoat uh, is also definitely recommended. Um, yeah. As a final thing, I'd like to say I like to bring a compass. Uh, I generally suggest entering the, most temples through the front door, which is usually on the east side of the temple, and then having your tuk-tuk pick you up over on the west side. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes in the middle, you're exploring all these chambers, you get a little spun around, and, and having a compass will help you figure out which way you came from and which way you should be going. Yeah, on the gear front, I just want to throw one more in. It's hot, everyone's hot, but you should still cover up with clothing. Um, people are very tolerant there, but you know, wear something with at least as much coverage as a t-shirt. So it's a good opportunity to wear a shirt with a collar because you can turn the collar up to, you know, protect yourself from the sun. And if you're going to wear shorts, knee length shorts, like, I mean, it's just not appropriate to be any less. And it, it's not bad to have a little protection. You know, you slip against a temple wall or brush up against a bush. It's good to have a little extra clothing too. It won't keep you, you that much hotter. Now I know Trevor, when you, you go around the temples of Angkor, you also run into a lot of people asking for things for money. Some are kids, some are people missing limbs. I know this is a bit of a gray area. What do you think? Yeah, you know, you definitely will encounter, uh, you know, what we could just generally call beggars, you know, whether they're children or whether they're guys with missing limbs from, from a landmine in the war, but the, you'll definitely be hit up for money. Now, there's an organization called Child Safe that suggests that you don't generally buy things from children or give money to children because that encourages them not to go to school. Mm -hmm. um, but what I find is that it's much easier to get a lot of people off of your back and, and to give a little bit of help without actually ruining them um, by getting a, a couple of fat stacks of 100 real notes. Now, okay. The, the smallest denomination of, of currency, like a bill in Cambodia, is worth about two cents. Oh, wow. so, so you get yourself a stack or a couple of stacks worth of these 100 real notes, and you just hand them out judiciously to kids and to beggars. Um, the kids will probably pester you for more, but we'll leave you alone after you give them, you know, five or six of these notes. Um, and then if you meet a legitimately blind or, or legless man who you think deserves some money, you can give him a handful of these notes as, a, you know, a generous handout as much as you like. Yeah, it's a tough one. I don't even really want to weigh in. There's rights, there's wrongs, and Who's to say that you shouldn't give an extremely poor person a, a bit of money? But the 100 reals come in super handy. And I know I've been to one temple up on Phnom Kulin, which we'll touch on later. And there was like a whole stretch of people all the way up the stairs. And it would have been brilliant to have hundreds. So great one. And then the next one I know I've seen on your list here that is a great one. And you're big on it is reading up. What do you recommend people uh, run their eyes? Yeah, the next couple were things that we talked about in the last episode, but I, would, I just want to recommend that people read some books uh, before they come. I really like Don Rooney's Angkor and Freeman and Jacques' Ancient Angkor. Um, both of these books are just specifically about the temples, and they give you the history of the temples, they give you a map about the temples, and they can give you more information than any guidebook possibly can. I really like one, the National Geographic book on Cambodia. The author 
is really passionate and really studied and learned his stuff. So that would be yeah, I know. But the problem with like <laughs> my Angkor chapter, like the first draft was like a hundred pages, and yeah. and I had to and I had to only publish twenty pages, and I think I ended up with thirty some pages in the end. But that's the problem with guidebooks is you can't say everything. Whereas if you buy a book like Dawn's that's specifically devoted to the temples, um, you're going to get a lot more information. That said, Dawn's latest edition is this giant book, and she was kind of upset, and she told me that a lady shouldn't carry a book that large. So, hmm. yeah, so she, she doesn't like the fact that it's become so giant, but um, it's definitely lots of good information. And you read it while you're in the tuk-tuk, and then you leave it in the tuk-tuk, uh, and, and you'll just learn a lot, and you'll appreciate the temples a lot more. Yeah, now this... We're going to get into the next one, and I'm almost the opposite of you here. I understand the value. I'm not an early riser, but you say it is key. Yeah, I'm not really a morning person either, but there's so many people going to the temples now. You really need to get up early and head to what your top attraction is going to be very first thing. Everybody goes to Angkor Wat first thing in the morning, mm -hmm. so you should get up first thing and head to any other temple. Okay. Uh, go to Bayon, go to Taprom. Later, we're going to talk about some of the temples farther out, like Bangmelia. That's a really popular temple now, even though it's far outside of town. Like if hmm. you want to go to Bante Stre, you want to go to Bangmelia, you need to get there first. So that's going to be the best experience. If you have a tour bus, tour bus full of people there with you, it's definitely not the same experience as if you have it to yourself. And we're talking like wheels on the bus going around when it's dark. Yeah, absolutely. You should ask your tuk-tuk driver, your driver, or your hotel, what time does the park open and, and plan to get there first thing. Now, eating... The temples are about 7K away to the edge of the historical park. So you're looking at least 7K away from your hotel, probably more like 10 plus. And it's common for people to go out in the morning, come back for lunch, go back in the afternoon. So it kind of can put a kink in things. If maybe you don't want to go back, where to eat, what to eat, what are your tips on food while exploring? Well, you know, you can buy cold drinks and fruit at just about every temple entrance or exit because yeah. there's, you know, there's dozens of temples within the park. So every temple you visit is going to have those. But, you know, while you're walking through one of the temples, you might find a nice shady spot under a tree that's really beautiful and you want to sit there and have a snack. You're definitely going to want to drink some water because you're going to be sweating buckets. So I think you either put some snacks in a cooler in your tuk-tuk that you bring with you from Siem Reap so you can stop at a pretty place while you're driving around or throw some snacks in your backpack. You know, you can pick up some bakery stuff or some fruit along the way and, and just bring it with you. You know, there's places to eat here and there around the park, but um, picnicking is definitely a great way to go. Yeah, I agree. There's, you know, whether you want some Kamea food to take away or you want to have a nice sandwich. Um, a lot of the tuk-tuk drivers even have little ice boxes now. Some of them are getting clever that way and you can toss it in and just find a nice tree to sit under and even have a snooze after or whatnot. But bringing some food along is, is really key. And, and a lot of the temples, there are food stalls. They look pretty rustic, but you'll get reasonably decent food outside of the temples. But they're getting kind of kind of expensive, but I know that you have one area in particular that you say if you've got to have that kind of food is the spot to do it. Yeah, you know, within Angkor Thom, the big main temple there, uh, those stalls, when I went back, I was surprised at how expensive they've gotten, you know? Yeah. So next to the Stra Strong, which is a, it's a pool near the Top Rome Temple, we'll put yeah. this on the Google, we'll put this on a Google Maps with the show notes so people can find it. But the Stra Strong restaurants there, um, again, they're probably more expensive than they should be, but I kind of like the atmosphere there. Otherwise, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, of Blue Pumpkin per se, but, but they have an air-conditioned restaurant right 
opposite Angkor Wat and value for money, man, with the air conditioning, it's not that expensive. It's, and it's, it's a real nice experience to, to get some decent food and air conditioning when you're outside all day. Uh, just don't go during peak lunch rush hour. Yeah, those are all fantastic tips. Wear lots of sunscreen. And the other thing in this side of the world is the mosquitoes are generally only really biting at dusk and dawn. It's too hot in the middle of the day. So like early morning, bug spray, sundown, bug spray. Aside from that, you're probably not going to get bit too much. That would be my last kind of tip to throw in. So Trevor, I know we're approaching this episode from the you've been to Siem Reap or the temples of Angkor before. Uh, you've probably seen the major ones. So where are we going to go? What are we going to see again? Start us off. Yeah, you know, we're definitely going to talk about some of the temples outside of the main area. But mm -hmm. if you're going to go back, you're probably going back for at least like three days. You're probably going to want to go back to Angkor Temple Complex again. Yep. Perhaps you're going with, with a different girlfriend than you traveled with the first time. <laughs> or, or you're traveling with some friends and you traveled with your girlfriend last time. Um, so I think for starters, I think you can revisit Angkor Wat. Yeah. Um, now, some people that I've talked with have claimed that they've been to Angkor Wat 20 times and, and they discover something new every single time they go. And I actually believe that to be true. Me too. Uh, I, yeah, I think every time I go to Angkor Wat or many of the other temples, they're great to revisit. Mm. Um, but I think you can go and visit different parts of the temple. I mean, you can explore a bit more and, and take your time and really appreciate different aspects of it. Um, for one thing, you should definitely check out the Vishnu image. Mm -hmm. That's in, like if you're walking across the moat, if you were to go through the straight door straight into the temple, you're going to miss the Vishnu image that's in the door just to the right of that. And right. uh, that's particularly beautiful to visit around sunset. And I think sunset's the best time to go to Angkor Wat. But when the light shines through that door and illuminates the, the Vishnu in there, it's just spectacular. I think I have a picture of it. It's the exact time, and I'll try and post it with that episode. And, you know, you've hit the nail on the head because I've been lucky enough to go probably be the Angkor Wat proper like 10 times. And it is just so darn big that you could literally pick one wall to just focus on for a couple hours and look at all the carvings. But one thing I loved at Angkor, and you're going to see on this episode, it's a theme for me, is walking around the wall. And basically, Angkor Wat is surrounded by a moat. But if you just cross the moat and then walk clockwise around the outer wall, and there's a little dirt footpath. But there's virtually no one out there. Last time I ran into a monk, which was really cool. And you'll hit all the entrance gates, generally four of them around, sometimes five on some temples. But just walk around the outside of Angkor Wat and you'll see the beautiful design on the buildings. You'll see some carvings. You can go and stand in the little entrances and have no one else around. Sit and enjoy a bit of that food we just mentioned that you bring along like that to me is one of the great things. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, Angkor Wat is one that you're going to approach from the west. So if you come across the moat and you take a right and you follow the moat around to the south side of the temple, okay, and then you, you enter in the door from the south side, and that will lead directly towards the main temple area, and you will walk right into one of the, the two active Buddhist monasteries right. that are located within the temple grounds. Mm. And, and that one on the south side is kind of in the forest, and very, very few people actually go and visit it. So I think if you were actually to walk around to the south side and enjoy the outdoor kind of natural atmosphere of the, the moat area, and then you go in that south side entrance, and you see all the trees, and you walk through the forest and then you get to this temple that that there's real monks at before you even see Angkor Wat proper you're going to have a much better experience than the 99 of the people just going through the front door yeah i think Angkor Wat and 
just all the temples are a real example of macro and micro. Easy to be hot, walk around for an hour and a half, feel templed out, but very easy to another time, sort of like really focus on one thing and get super absorbed in it and just forget about all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, but aside from revisiting Angkor Wat and maybe Taprom, which I'm, I'm not, you know, these temples are so crowded. There's so many people, like more and more visitors coming every year. Yeah. So the other thing I recommend you do is check out some of the infrequently visited temples. There's some temples that almost no people go to. Yeah, and you put me on to uh, this next one. I'm going to steal it from you now. And it's called Tane. And Tane is basically there's the grand circuit and the short circuit, which if you look at a map and we'll put it in the show notes, is the main kind of route you take to explore the key kind of temples. But just like 800 meters to a kilometer kind of off the road to the north is a little charming temple in the forest. Uh, it's not so far from Takeo, I think. And it's, it's small, partially collapsed, partially standing. And I've been there a good number of times now on your recommendation at all times of day, but I seem to like to go there towards the end of the day. And I just like to sit on a stone and just like watch and listen and not move. Yeah, lots of birds, lots of mm. uh, insects. It's, it's really peaceful. Yeah, and, and, and there's just, there's a lot of those kind of little temples there. You don't have to go too far to get away from people. So what are one of the ones you really like? Yeah, the next one I was going to mention is called the Priya Pitu. It's a group of temples. And if you're inside of Angkor Thom and you walk along the Elephant Terrace, most yeah. people walk along the Elephant Terrace, and then they get to the Terrace of the Leper King. Mm-hmm. And then and then that's where their tuk-tuk meets them and then takes them to the restaurants. There's like a, a huge collection of restaurants right there. Yeah? yeah. Now, if you're walking towards the toilets from the restaurant and you just look to your right, there's the entrance to the Priya Patu temples. They're, they're hidden away right there under everyone's noses. Okay. And, and the Priya Patu temples have some really unique sculptures on and in the temples. Like there's, there's a multi-armed she, dancing Shiva carving. If you go inside of one of the, the temples, it's really small, but there's carvings all inside the upper tiers of the chamber. It's unique to any other temple at Angkor. And if you continue walking away from the restaurants, you'll get to the edge of what used to be a, a, a it's now a dry brai. And there's two small little elephant statues right there that are really charming. And, and there's local people back there, but there's really no tourists. And, and it's really close, but no one goes to it. And it's really charming. That's sweet. And, you know, one that I like, you kind of touched on, as you said, if you have to eat at food stalls in the park. And here is my continuing thing of walking around things i have no idea why is this restaurant and it's kind of like a barai it's a pool of water and i've heard that is it not right that it was used as a private bathing pool for a king or something um actually there was an inscription there that said that it was dedicated to all the people and animals of the kingdom except uh-huh. except for the dike breakers which were the elephants okay. so all the creatures of angkor and all the people were allowed to swim there except for the elephants Okay, so it's a massive pool of water. I haven't measured it, but I would guess it's probably seven, eight hundred meters on each side. And it's uh, very near to Taprom, so it's sort of more on the easterly side of the park. But I, I, for whatever reason, I like if I'm on a bike, I'll take one lap around it. I've even been with my buddy who drives a remote, kind of the tuk-tuk, and we've gotten out and jogged around it. But it's also a fantastic place for sundown. If you don't need the traditional temple view, you go sit on the east side of it and just take a beverage and it makes a beautiful place for sunset. So that's one I really like too. 
I agree. I, I like it for sunset. And uh, if you are feeling hot, because it actually is an ancient public swimming pool, uh, a lot of the local kids from the village right near there that, that the restaurants families run and stuff like that, they go swimming in the pool. So if it's the monsoon season and the thing is full of water, uh, don't feel shy. If you got your swimsuit on, go ahead and jump in. Nice one. Okay. Give us one more before we uh, get on to the next topic. Okay, I mentioned the, the Vishnu statue that was in that entrance uh, at Angkor Wat. That was actually the Vishnu image that they found at the bottom of the central sanctuary and may have been the actual Vishnu that was enshrined in the central sanctuary at Angkor Wat. Now, there's also a Buddha image that they found in the pit beneath Bayon Temple. And the Bayon Temple is the one with all the big face towers that, right. that everyone enjoys. Yeah. So the Buddha image that, that may have been the, the sacred image of that temple is actually in a small, like it, it's an open air temple, like a modern temple. It was actually built back in the 1930s. After they found the image, they presented it to the king of Cambodia and he had it enshrined at this vihir called Prompil Loving. Mm -hmm. And uh, people believe that it's a likeness of Jayavarman VII, the king who built the Bayon and Angkor Thom and all these fascinating temples. So I think uh, going to see the Buddha image, it's the Jaya Buddha Mahanata, perhaps, of the King Jayavarman VII. Uh, it's, it's on the Victory Road as you're going from the Elephant Terrace out the Victory Gate towards uh, Takeo and Strasrong. Man, that is a, a neat little pocket of history. So He's got to read to know these things. Yeah, geez, I've got to pick up a book one of these days. So, I mean, let's, let's be honest here. You could spend months exploring the immediate Angkor Historical Park, but more and more I think some people are feeling the need to go further afield. So we're going to touch on now a few sites that are within kind of shooting distance of the Historical Park, make easy half-day and, and day trips. Um, one I want to just mention from a historical point of view, but I don't think either of us recommend you go there, are the mountains sort of north and east of the historical park called Phnom Kulin, where the, the, the big rocks are actually carved out of. And this is apparently where the Angkor Empire started in 802. And, and why don't you think it's worth going up there, Trevor? Because I know some places try and take people out there. Yeah, you know, I think the problem is just that it's privately owned, that land. It's not part of the Absura authority that, that your temple day pass is. So I don't even know. It might be more than $20. Now, it might be $25 just to get in there. And uh, if you're really into waterfalls, it's the most beautiful waterfall in the area. But there's, there's not a whole lot of temples in that area unless you're a serious temple geek. Uh, there are some carvings in the river, but nearby Cabal Spien, which we're going to talk about next, is actually more impressive. So I think to pay $20 to go into Phnom Kulen, it's only if you've really done it all um, or if you're really into waterfalls or if just money is no object to you and you, you want to check it off your bucket list. The bigger thing for me is, yeah, it was nice and the waterfall's nice, but it's a full day. Like, to go out there and back and everything, it's a full day and there's better things you can do with your time. And I know you just said Cabal Spian. Cabal Spian is, is not so far from Bante Sore, and you can maybe enlighten people what that is. But when I went there, it's maybe a kilometer walk through the, the jungle. It's about an hour from Siem Reap by driving. And you can go up to a, a river and see carvings that they've actually done in the riverbed and the water flows over these carvings it's it's really beautiful huh i think cabal spien along with the Angkor center for Bi biodiversity are an essential addition to a visit to bente sre uh, i wrote up a complete day trip for these attractions in the national geographic Thailand, uh, cambodia guidebook um, because i think along with bente sre 
the Cabalspi Inn and the Anchor Center for Bi Biodiversity, which is right next door to it, make a great diverse day trip. Um, the the Cabalspi Inn is a, is a stream that flows into the Siem Reap River, which carries the water down to the Angkor temples. So the, the Cambodian people really believed in the sacredness of water and of these waters. And so they carved uh, thousands, quote unquote, of, of lingas, which are phallic symbols, into the stone upon which the water flowed over. But in addition to all these thousand lingas, there's also Vishnu's there's a Vishnu reclining. There's actually two reclining Vishnu images, one of which has Brahma coming out of a lotus blossom from his belly button. And there's all sorts of crocodiles and fish. And, and it's also just a really beautiful countryside. If you want a little nature walk and, and get away from uh, the heat of the sun and get underneath some floral canopy, uh, it's really beautiful. Yeah, you know, I, I always kind of struggle whether it's worth the trip to go see Bante Sare. It's, it's nice and all. But if you're going to go out there, definitely nail uh, both of them two birds with one stone and then kind of one we both really like but man it sure has caught on in the last few years it's about uh, 75 or so kilometers east of uh, Siem Reap by road and that's Beng Malia and Beng Malia man it is a huge temple complex it was on the ancient royal highway um, to a place called Priya Khan and that's this very far-flung temple in the center of the country that you and I are dreaming of going to but Beng Malia has a massive moat. It's about 800 meters on one side and a kilometer on the other. Smaller than Angkor Wat proper, but man, it is significant, huh? Yeah, it's definitely a big and important temple, and uh, there weren't actually inscriptions to really find out exactly when it was built or who built it, um, but it was along this very important road between Angkor and Khan and Kalke to the north, which we're going to talk about in a second. And then there was a, a stream that headed south from Bangmelia to the Tonle Sap, and they think that they used that stream to, to ferry the stones down to build some of the temples at Angkor. So it's definitely an important temple, and consequently it's a massive temple. And the cool thing about it is that they haven't done a lot of restoration work. So most of the temple is still collapsed and in disrepair, that kind of Indiana Jones Tomb Raider style. The only problem with now is that since so many people are going there, they want to make it safe for people. So they've built these wooden walkways all around it, which actually makes it really nice to, to travel around and, and explore the temple. But you're also doing it with, with busloads of other people if you get there too late. Yeah, times have changed since I was there. And then I know you like to combine that one if you're a real temple enthusiast with Kotka. And Kotka is quite a bit north of there. And I went years ago when they were working on the road. I drove a dirt bike out. And to go to Kotka and back in a day, that's a big full day, right? And uh, it, it's a really different in style. Yeah, you know, nowadays with, with the quality of the road, doing Bangmelia and Kotka together actually isn't too big of a deal. Um, hmm. it, it is it is a full day. Um, I still think it's probably more fun to do it on a motorbike than in a van um, because you are going to spend collectively a couple of hours in the van going out there and back between the two temples. Um, so at least if you're on a motorbike, you get to be in the scenery rather than, than sheltered from it, you know. Um, but also, Kolke is, is not a single temple. It's, it's actually a, an entire city in and of itself. Um, yeah. for, a, for a short period during the Angkor era, uh, a king set up a, a, a competing capital. They're not sure if there was two capitals existing at the same time or whether they actually relocated the capital to Kolke, but huh. it's, an, it's an entire city of 
temples. And while many of them aren't that impressive, uh, the Prasat Tom, which is the, the big pyramid there, is spectacular. And you can now climb to the top of it, which is pretty cool. Oh, and, then, and then there's some pretty cool sculptures. There's some massive linga, there's giant phallic symbols, some of the biggest ones you'll ever see. Uh, well, maybe not the biggest Scott's ever seen. but. <laughs> um, and then there's some really neat sculptures of lions and elephants at, at some of the smaller temples. Uh, so it's kind of pleasant, especially if you do it on a motorbike. Yeah, I mean, I would say you got to be a temple enthusiast to make the trek out to Gokke, but it, it is definitely super cool and, uh, and Bengalia is really neat. Now, I know there's another one that I finally made it to, uh, what, almost a year ago now, and it is uh, northwest of Siem Reap, quite close to the Thai border, actually, called Bante Chama. What is that? Yeah, Bante Chamar, which means the citadel of the cat. Although I, I, ha I haven't quite worked out why it's called the citadel of the cat. Um, but it's a, it's a massive city. It's actually bigger than Angkor Thom, um, which is the city that Jayavarman built uh, with Bayon at the center. And he built it in dedication to his son, who was a general of his. And uh, supposedly it was commissioned before he actually became the king. Um, but you know, you've been out there and, and I think it's spectacular and, and like Bangmelia, like most of this temple is totally in ruins. Um, but unlike Bangmelia, like it's, it's still like, you can still climb all over. You can climb through these things. You, it's pretty scary sometimes walking around some of those chambers. Yeah. Cause you don't know if these things are going to collapse on you. And, and there's really not many people around. I don't know what it was like when you went, but when, when I went back in 2008 or nine, uh, we were the first people in two months to visit the temple. Yeah, we drove motorbikes out there and uh, you kind of drive the highway towards Thailand for about an hour and then you fork north and the road was still under construction. So once they get it sealed, it'll be quick going. But when we got there, there was a few other Kamaya people, but there was no other foreigners. And I mean, unfortunately, we really only had about an hour or so to wander around. But yeah, it's all collapsed stones. And I mean, you, the whole place is yours and you could... I mean, if you're wearing pants and feeling really adventurous, you could really walk far into this thing. But, you know, mines kind of go through your head as well. But, yeah, if, you, if you've got a day to go out and back her, I know that there's a homestay project out there as well. But, but that's a, that it was definitely really worthwhile going. And I'd love to go back and spend a bit more time there. Yeah, I think you should, because uh, I recommended to you to also check out some of the ancillary temples that were outside the moated uh uh, Bante Chamar proper because mm -hmm. um, they're just as cool I mean uh, they're just really fascinating really unique and uh, because that road has been upgraded you can get there pretty quickly now you can do it in a day trip like you can do Bangmelia so I almost think that people should do a homestay you go out there the, the, the moat around the city the whole the villages that live out there it's, it's just beautiful countryside and it's really charming and I think the temple deserves more than just an hour of exploration, especially with the, with the smaller nearby temples. So I think it's worth, uh, you know, an overnight stay at the very least. Yeah, well, it was it was certainly gorgeous out the ride out, the ride back. There's one more kind of key one that you can hit in a big day trip. I've been to it on the Thai side, but not on the Khmer side, uh, and that's uh, Prewe here. Can you tell us about that, Trevor? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting temple because it's right on the border with Thailand and Cambodia. And uh, for, for many, many, many years, it was really only accessible from Thailand, like the way you went. 
Um, but then Thailand and Cambodia had an ongoing border dispute, and and the, some of the border dispute was based on like 1.2 square kilometers right around the temple complex, and and the Thais and the Cambodians exchanged fire, and, and a few people were killed in, in the, some of those clashes. But as a result of that, the the Cambodian army built the road on the Cambodian side up quite a lot, so now it's much more accessible uh, for visitors from the Cambodian side. Sweet. So that's a that's a full day trip out and back. Would that be right? You know, I did it with uh, this guy who who drives like a madman. But but we went up to An Long Vang and we saw Pol Pot's grave, and then we went up to Prayavihir, and then we went to Koke, and then we stopped in Bangmelia, and then we got back to to Siem Reap in in like ten hours. <laughs> that's epic. That I know. Epic. He does drive like a madman. And we didn't spend that much time at, at all the temples just because I'd been to most of them before and, and we were just doing it to time it and to see, you know, what the status of all the temples and the roads were and, and whatnot. But but I hear the roads are much, much better now. And, you know, staying in, in Priyavihir town, which is Tabang Minche, is a bit depressing. It's It's not a really fancy nice town with any sort of decent tourism infrastructure so you definitely don't want to stay overnight there if you don't have to so i think if you're going to bother going all the way out to priyavi here again it would be way more fun to do on a dirt bike and to try and combine it with kolke and maybe even going all the way down to sambor Prekuk and doing it as a multi-day tour as a big loop like that and uh, i talked about that big looping motorbike trip in the nat geo book as a, as a day trip if people want to check out the book very cool. Well, man, we have just uh, laid 30 minutes of thick temple and sightseeing on people. And there's much more to Siem Reap and the Angkor region than just temples. But we're going to save that for three nights in Siem Reap episode, which will to come. And we'll talk about restaurants and bars, some bird watching, boat journeys, uh, even a hospital you could go check out. So, uh, man, Trevor, thanks for sharing your in-depth knowledge there. Thank you to the listeners for joining us. Trevor, why don't you take us out? Yeah, everybody, thanks for listening. I uh, hope you got some useful information from this. Make sure to check out our show notes. We'll have a Google Maps with some information about the locations that we discussed. And uh, I might even throw in some itinerary information for people who are planning to go to the temples. Otherwise, Scott, I really look forward to doing three nights in Siem Reap with you because uh, we spend a lot of time there together and I think we both have some great tips to share with our listeners. Thanks for joining us on Talk Travel Asia. We look forward to sharing with you again soon. Hey Scott, do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at Angkor Thom 